Good morning. It's great to be here, and um, what an encouragement it is. I don't know. Do you want to say something before I get going? Something. <laughs> I'm going to share after she shares, so I just came up to just say hi. So I'm back down. Okay. Um, but it's been a joy um, to be here today and to be encouraged by worshiping together. You know, and the theme of our songs were talking about God's faithfulness. And um, we have an anchor that is strong and sure. And so what an encouragement, especially the hymns today. I grew up on the hymns, and so I was so blessed um, by being here um, in the worship service. But we want to thank you for your prayers and financial support. We have been in the Kurdistan region of northern Iraq for four years. Um, May marked four years, so we're actually into our fifth year. On this map, you will see the city of Erbil, and that's where we fly into. And then from there, we take a vehicle and we travel. We go towards the direction of Mosul. And we are about 30 kilometers from Mosul. That's about a two-hour drive. We are an hour from the Turkish border. So that gives you an idea of where we live. Mosul, present-day Mosul, happens to be Nineveh. And my husband will be talking about Nineveh today. But it is a privilege to be here, be in that region the next picture you will see is a picture of our city, our little village called Shadia. And in the front of that picture is the actual town. And then behind you'll see the IDP camps. And that means etern internally displaced people camps. And so in 2014, when ISIS came and went into the Shingal region. A lot of the Yazidis left that place, and they've been living in tents. And so recently, last week, I um, read in a local uh, Middle East paper that 100 people have recently returned to Shingal. And in the last eight months, 4,000 Yazidis have returned, and that represents about 800 families. They say that there are 26,000 families currently living in the Dehuk camps, and there's yet another 37,000 other Yazidis living outside of the camp. And so we have the privilege to live in a Yazidi village working with children with special needs. Next slide, please. So... After Ray and I were married, we were traveling, visiting other countries and other regions, and we were bringing back stories of others. And we began talking um, to each other and saying, but you know what? We want to be able to tell our story, something that God is doing. And actually, it's not our story, but it's God's story. And the amazing thing is that God is about writing a story in each of our lives. He wants 
himself to be glorified in our life and he wants us to be able to to recount his faithfulness and his leading he is a good shepherd who comforts us he leads us he feeds us we can hear his voice and he says this is the path that you should walk and so regardless of of your age god is writing a story be aware of that and um, tell that story often so others will know that God is at work. Our story, God's story, has led us to Shadia, where um, we have been able to open up a Christian developmental center for children with special needs, and we work with children from birth to age 13, and we are servicing about 25 students And behind those walls, there's a lot of wonderful things happening. Next slide, please. So there's a lot of love being shown and a lot of learning being done. Our children are learning to brush their teeth. They're using utensils to eat. They're learning numbers, letters. They're learning to communicate with words, and they're learning to be a good friend. We're able to um, teach in English and in Kurdish, so it's a dual language program and our children are smart and they are learning. Next slide. Just um, some pictures so that you get to see our classroom and then the mural on the wall is actually in our gym area. We had a young lady from Denmark who was very talented artistically and she volunteered to paint this mural. We asked our children, what do you want on the wall? And they said, we want bugs and flowers and birds and butterflies, and that's exactly what they got. And so it just makes our space a little bit, um, yeah, a happy place. And indeed, it is a happy place for our children. Next slide, please. We are going out, and our children are growing up, and we are grateful for the opportunity to share life with our students and our staff, especially with our older children, We want to make it a point and an opportunity that we get them out in the community. Otherwise, many of them would only stay in their homes, and they don't really get out a lot. So it's quite an adventure when we go out with our older students, but they love um, to go out. The picture of the group, um, we are going bowling at the mall. And you see that little girl in the green dress, the one that I think... Um, She has a princess crown on her head. She was so excited, but she's a visual learner. And so she was very fascinated to see how the pins would come down and then they would be picked up. And and in a second, without even noticing it, she ran up the lane and she had her head underneath there. I'm like, oh my. So we do, when we go out, we have one adult to one child and there is a reason for that. But it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Next slide. This is our summer staff. And I know that some of you pray daily for us, frequently for us. So if you have a pencil and a paper, I'm going to be giving you some um, prayer requests. But our summer staff, they are doing a wonderful job. Kamal, there in the front. Um, he's been with us from the very beginning. And I just appreciate Kamal because he's available to do whatever needs to be done. And it was his father who told us 
don't try to convert our children because we don't convert your children. And so that's the home that he's in, but Kamal has heard and is listening to the Bible story. So he's familiar with um, the word of God, and we're thankful that Kamal is with us. Warveen graduated in the English department, and she's been with us for about a year and a half. And I think she first started working for us because it was a job. But it's been good to see how she has really grown, and she's learning. She loves the children. Bossy is, was our first intern, and we've been able to hire her. She is a great um, individual. She sees work that needs to be done. I don't have to tell her what to do. She's usually one step ahead of me, and I really appreciate um, Bossy. Royda is uh, another intern who we've hired for the summer. She has a lot of creativity, and we appreciate her being with us. And then Kalesh, he's um, my assistant, and I'm thankful to have Kalesh. And when I left uh, my staff, I told them there are three guidelines for the summer, three things that you need to be concerned about, safety, your sanity, and to have fun. And so um, I'm grateful to know that that's, that's the three rules that they've been abiding by um, this, this summer. Next slide. So Kalesh, as our assistant, I'm thankful he's working full time. He's a family man, he's a teacher, he's my assistant, and he is our friend. And Ray's had some many wonderful conversations with him, but one of the conversations that they've had is, do, do the Yazidis have a book? How do you know what is true? Well, basically, it's whatever the religious leader tells you that is what's true. And Ray keeps saying, but we have a book. It's an ancient book, but it's true. You can depend on it. So Ray has been encouraging Kalesh to read God's word. And the Bible in Arabic and Kurdish is available. So our prayer for Kalesh is that he would begin opening God's word, reading it for himself, and that God through his spirit would lead Kalesh to the Lord. Sadis, he's my questioner, and that day he noticed that both he and I had green and black on, and he wanted a picture. And so I love Sadis because he's always asking why, why, why. He's very eager to learn. And um, this past year when we were talking about Easter and Jesus dying on the cross, he said, why did Jesus die on the cross? What a perfect opportunity. And to talk to them that classroom, as well as my staff, that Jesus was slaughtered like a lamb. They know what that's like because they do slaughter animals in their street. They see that. And so Sadus received that answer. And I'm just praying that he will continue to ask great questions during Bible time because not only am I answering his questions, but I'm also speaking to others in that classroom and that God would respond um, to his questions about who the Lord is. See, Dad, he's our oldest student. He just turned 13, and we are praying for a miracle. Some of you know that um, earlier on this spring, I took a neurological training class, a neurological approach to children with disabilities. And so um, the therapy program that we learned about we will be using with CDAD, and we appreciate CDAD. 
One of the things that we do every day when we're with the children is that we pray um, with our older students to open up the class. And we always talk about we're praying to God, the, the one who made the heavens and the earth. And we can pray to God anytime, day or night. The Yazidis have a, an idea that they can pray at certain times. Wednesdays are an important time for prayer. At sundown is an important time for prayer. But I don't know if they go throughout the day praying. But we do, and our children are hearing that they can pray anytime, day or night. So I asked my children, do you pray? See, Dad was the one, his hand went up first. And I said, great, see, Dad, when do you pray? He said, at nighttime before I go to bed. And so I'm praying that he'll continue to, to pray and that God would answer his prayers. Omed, he's been with us from the very beginning. We love Omed. He's a medically fragile child, so I am praying that God would turn his heart and his eyes towards heaven and that he would be interested in knowing what happens. Is there a heaven when we pass through this life? And that um, he would begin asking questions about heaven. The man behind the wheelchair is Jack. He's one of Ray's friends, and in his 70s, he decided. He wanted to go overseas to live, and he's been in country three years. He's learning the Shingali language. Omed is learning English, and so they are buddies. And um, you can especially pray for Jack and his influence in Omed's life as well as in the family home. Adian, a year ago, Adian had lots of behavioral issues, and his mama told us recently in a in a parent meeting that he was on medications. They were constantly seeing doctors, and he was just a mess emotionally. And she said after a year of being at the center on her own, she decided to take him off of medication. They are not seeing any doctors, and she is seeing kindness and compassion in their home. And so we are thankful for the work that God has done in Audien's life. He's a smart child, and his mama would love to see him go to public school, which is what we hope will, will happen for Audien in the near future. Some of you know about my good friend Nadifa and Dahila and Denise. Many times I've sent out special prayer requests, pray for Denise. I think we might lose her. And in May and June, she had um, two hip surgeries, one in May, one in June, and she is not doing very well, and which makes me very, very sad, but it's an opportunity to offer this child to the Lord, saying, you do what you want to do in this child's life. You know, we pray for miracles, but the greater miracles that Nadifa would go come to know the Lord and know God's purpose for her life, his plan of salvation, that in some small way, all of the children that she's lost, um, that would make sense to her, that God has used these difficulties to reveal himself to her and, her, and his plan of salvation. So, um, yeah, pray for Nadifa, Denise, and, and uh, Dahila as I return, um, just walking this medical journey with them and not really knowing um, what tomorrow will hold for these children. One of the things that has been a joy is that through another organization called Step In, 
we've been able to host monthly parent meetings and step in not only meets at our center but they're also in different camps and so they have fathers and mothers together but when it came time we asked our mothers um, what kind of a support group would you like and they said please don't include the dads just just have it for the, the mothers because we want freedom to talk and so that's what we've been able to do and you know the mothers come and say wow I usually come here I'm so stressed but you know when I leave I, I just have a different perspective and so we are thankful for step in and the partnership that they um, have with us so that we can have the mother support groups on a, on a monthly basis and many of the the expat community, those that are Christians, are the ones that have been teaching our mothers. So another great opportunity for ministry. Dunya holds a special place in my heart. She is a young woman who left Shingal in 2014, and she's in a culture that is male-dominant. She does not have a father or a mother in her home, and so she's... Um, under the supervision of two brothers that she needs to ask permission to do certain things and she's 21 years old and um, life has been hard she has seen a lot of trauma she has not been treated well and um, when I asked a local how can we get her out of this hard situation that she's in within her family you know what they told me they said we can arrange a marriage for her and I'm like, oh, I don't know that that's her solution, is to marry her into another family. And so Dunya knows the Lord. She has a woman who is a believer who walks with her. But I'm praying that God will heal Dunya's heart, her mind, her spirit, and cause her to rise above her situation. She's very negative. She keeps saying, oh, nothing will change. And I keep saying, yes, Dunya, because God's at work in your life. Look at who he's brought into your life. And so um, pray for this young woman. She comes into our home to help me with house cleaning. She's our best house cleaner, and that gives me an opportunity to see her each week, to encourage her. And then other times we go hiking together. We bake in the kitchen together. So um, developing a friendship with Dunya, asking for God to, to work in this young woman's life. We are able to have our residency in Kurdistan because of the Restoration Act. And um, Becky Thompson is the director. What a wonderful woman that God has given us through the Restoration Act. Becky Thompson leads the work. The group shot are the locals and foreigners who serve under the Restoration Act. We have believers and unbelievers. Our house church we meet weekly is through the Restoration Act. As for special prayer for Becky, she has had traumatic brain injury. Her neck is full of bolts and screws, and she has been dealing with a lot of pain issues. also affected her eyesight recently. So she is currently in the States looking for treatment, and so we're praying that the treatment will be successful, that God will strengthen her um, and bring her back to Kurdistan in the fall so that she can continue living and working amongst the people that she loves. And um, Becky started the Restoration Act because she wanted 
to help people serve the Lord in the way that he was calling them. She's not a micromanager. She gives us lots of freedom, and she brings unity and love. And uh, her philosophy, and she always says, Lord, help us to know how to love well. Isn't that great? Don't we each need to know that with our own family members, with our body of Christ? Lord, teach us to love well. What does that look like? And Becky does a great job loving well the locals as well as her staff and her team members at the Restoration Act. I'd like to leave you with the words of Jesus. He said, we must work the works of him who sent me, talking about the works of God the Father, because he was sent by God as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And how true that is. We live in dark days. Um, But Jesus is the light. He wants us to carry his light. And we are thankful. Ray and I are thankful that we can be in the Kurdistan region carrying that light um, to the Yazidi community and the greater Muslim community as we serve their families and the children with special needs. So thank you afterwards. If you have more, um, any questions or comments, we would love to, to visit with you afterwards. For the last four years, we've been living in the northwest part of Iraq, and the region is called the Nineveh Plain. It's the Nineveh Plains region. And this year, when I was praying, Lord, what, what do you want me to share? And one morning, I woke up, and He said, Jonah, Jonah. And we live like Denise said. We live about a half an hour from Mosul, which is which was the capital of the ancient Assyrian Empire, which is called Nineveh. And our region is rich in biblical history. Nineveh is first mentioned in Genesis 10-11 as having been founded by Nimrod, the hunter who built the Tower of Babel and led the world into a rebellion against Jehovah God. Many of you are probably pretty familiar with this with this historical account of Jonah. And uh, many times when I say, oh, Jonah, oh, yeah, yeah, Jonah, we, yeah, we know about Jonah. So this isn't going to be anything real new for you guys. But there's, I think there's some special points that I'd like to bring out today as I share. Um, we can learn from the prophet Jonah, whom the Lord used to bring a message of repentance to the wicked Assyrian city of Nineveh. And I'd like to give just a little bit of background of the Assyrians because this will set the stage for for more of what the Lord has to say to us. The Assyrians of Nineveh had long been an enemy of Judah and Israel. In 722 BC, the Assyrians defeated the northern kingdom of Israel and destroyed its capital. 
uh, Samaria. In 701 BC, the Assyrians nearly conquered Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. The text of Nahum provides additional clues regarding God's anger with the Ninevites, found in Nahum 3.1. And it says, Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. And just outside our little village in near Al-Kush, which is about 20 minutes, is the tomb of Nahum. And they say Nahum, not Nahum, Nahum. So that's why I call it Nahum. Nineveh was a city of violence, known for its brutal treatment of those it conquered. And in that era, they were a major force across the world, conquering many, many nations and many regions. The Assyrians were notorious for witchcraft, sorcery, lying, amputating hands and feet, gouging out of eyes, skinning people alive, and impaling their captives. And if, if anybody you know what impaling is, they would have a sharp stick in the ground and they would throw your body on that stick and it would come through your body. And it would, you'd sit on there until you perished. The final verse of Nahum's book emphasizes the violence of the Assyrians. And it says, Who has not felt your endless cruelty? Nahum 3.19 So now I'm setting the stage for Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come before me. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to Nineveh. And if you think about it, what I just spoke about the Ninevites and what they did to their people, the Lord is asking Jonah to go to that city. Jonah, knowing the genocides committed by the Assyrians of Nineveh, receives the word of the Lord to go and preach repentance and salvation to the most wicked and brutal region in the world. We have to ask ourselves, if the Lord called you or I to go to such a place, what would your response be? I can remember... Many times in my life I told the Lord, I will go anywhere, Lord, wherever you want me, I will go. Here am I. Send me, Lord. I'm ready to go. And that was what Jonah, or what the Lord was asking Jonah to do, to go to that wicked city. But Jonah's response is found in verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, and paid the fare 
and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Is that photo of um, that map there? Here's a photo of the map. And um, I can't see that with my glasses like this. You can see over where Joppa was. And Jonah was, was in a ship heading towards Tarshish. Does anybody know how far that might be? Long way. How about 2,500 miles? So he books a ticket and tries to get as far away from Nineveh as he can to flee from the presence of the Lord, running from the Lord's command. When Jonah starts his journey to Tarshish, the ship and its crew run into a little problem. Jonah 3 says, The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Where is Jonah at this time? He's sleeping below in the hold of the ship. He's down in the belly of the ship. Then the men became extremely frightened and they said to Jonah, How could you do this? For the men knew that Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. How do they know? Because Jonah told them. He says, I'm running from God. I'm, not, I'm, I'm heading out of here. In verse 11 and 12, so they said to Jonah, What should we do that the sea may become calm for us? So the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. Jonah said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me, this storm has come upon you. And I think of that phrase we often use, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Throw me over the side of the ship in the middle of a storm. <laughs> wonderful plan. 15 and 17 they said, So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. And what does Jonah do while he's in the belly of the fish? He cries out to the Lord, and he said, to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, he said, I call out to, of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and you heard my voice. Verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up on the dry land. Here's something that the Lord kind of revealed to me, didn't kind of, he did reveal to me. There are times in our lives when the Lord has to throw us overboard spiritually or even physically so that he can get our attention. There are times that the Lord puts us through 
severe testings that cause us to seek him in a way like never before. Have you ever been thrown overboard on your journey with the Lord? Have you ever been thrown overboard? I know many of us who are older saints have probably been thrown overboard many times. But you know, it it causes us to, you know, to ask the Lord to speak to us during that time. And Lord, what do you want? So Jonah was given another opportunity to obey the Lord. In, in chapter 3, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am about to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Isn't it interesting after three-day experience in the belly of a great fish, how Jonah was ready to obey the Lord the second time? And it's true, you know, when you know when you go into these severe trials into the belly of a fish, so to speak, all of a sudden you can hear the voice of the Lord so much more clearly. And I know that in my own life I've been thrown over the the side of the ship and I know what it's like to be there and probably will be in that place many more times before he takes me and he takes us. It wasn't until the, uh, the Lord put Jonah through a harrowing experience that he finally complied to the command of the Lord. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and he said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. And when God saw their deeds, they turned from their wicked way. Then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. He did not do the calamity or put the judgment on them that, that, he, was, that he was wanting to do. In Jonah 4, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was in my own country? Therefore, in, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a, a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? My question is, why do you think Jonah was so angry? And I'm sure Jim would probably have uh, more commentary on this than I, than I would, but... 
And why was Jonah angry? After all, Assyria was a sworn enemy of Israel. They committed atrocities and genocide against his people, the Israelites. In Jonah's mind, he thought, why should I go to such a people? They don't deserve Jehovah's compassion, grace, and salvation. This is really what Jonah thought, I believe. You know, if we were honest, there are times when we had similar attitude towards people we don't like. Or maybe they did something to you that is unforgivable. You might even hate them. And, um, and the Lord's response to Jonah was, in Jonah 4.11, Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand, from their left hand, as well as many animals. I'm still trying to figure out the animal part of that, but maybe the Lord just has compassion on even the animals. But, um, you know, this was a wicked city, but yet he saw fit to send Jonah there to preach repentance, God's love and mercy and salvation. So I have in my final comments, I, I have, what does this say about Jehovah? It shows that he is merciful and full of grace, giving, giving even the most wicked person or people group an opportunity to come to him. And that's what he did in my life many, almost 43 years ago. I was a wicked person. And the, the love and grace of God captured me, and I was, I was saved. I was born again. And the Lord has a watchful eye on the earth concerning man's wickedness. He will not tolerate idolatry and wickedness without judgment. And you know, we're living in an era where there's tremendous idolatry, Tremendous wickedness on the earth. And the Lord still has loving compassion towards these people. And so should we. And um, we're living in tough times. And, and I think that times may even get tougher. And so we have to really seek the Lord and how he wants to use us in these latter days of man's history and on the earth. So what does this say about man? He wants those invo involved in sinful behavior to stop their evil ways and turn from it and look to the Lord. And we call this repentance, don't we? To turn from sinful ways and live a holy and righteous life. And Denise has been speaking to our daughter about turning away from sin and living a holy life. And that's what he calls us all to do. Whether a prophet, a Christian, or an unbeliever, he gives us more than, more than one opportunity to obey him to fulfill 
His purposes. How many times has the Lord given you another chance, another opportunity to turn away from all the things that were against the Lord and come to Him? And really that's all we're doing in Sharia is showing the people the love and compassion of God. And we desire that they turn from their sinfulness and that they come to the Lord Jesus. And that's the cry of our heart. And so what is our or my obedience statement? When the Lord speaks or comes to us, we should not run away from his presence, but be willing to obey even in difficult circumstances. And you know, many missionaries today around the world are living in difficult circumstances. And not only missionaries, but as you know, I worked for the Voice of the Martyrs for 22 years. And there are believers in over 60 countries that are going through horrific tribulations even now. And, you know, we have to remain steadfast and encourage one another to fulfill the work and the plan of God, even in the most hostile and difficult places of life. And so I'd like to encourage you today, stay steadfast, saints, because we're going through some of the most difficult times in the history of our country, and we have to remain faithful to the gospel And we have to remain faithful to one another as we go through it. So I'm going to pray and then I'm I'm, I'm leaving. Father, thank you for the word that you gave to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to him. And even though he didn't want to obey you and run far, far away, you made a way for him to, to come back to his senses. And you brought him to the the shores of, um, of the gateway to Nineveh to fulfill your purposes. Lord, help us to fulfill your purposes in these very difficult days. Thank you for our family here at TCF. I, we, Denise and I bless them in the name of Jesus. We thank you for their heart of love and their prayer for the nations of the earth and the beautiful, wonderful family of God that we are so blessed to be a part of. And I thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.